Welcome to episode 91 of the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. We cannot let our history and personal experience demand and dictate scripture. Hi, this is Keith Tusi, and welcome to Leadership in Context. Hey, it's great to be with you to discuss, I think, a very important subject. I promised, I think, in the last two podcasts, I was going to address the issue of what I call ethnocentric biblical interpretation, or I guess even technically you could call it an ethnocentric worldview. And what that means is interpreting things around us only by our environment. The word ethnos is in the Bible many, many times. It means a tribe. It means a nation. It means a people group. Uh, The apostle Paul used it, the word that is translated Gentile, in most cases, is the word ethnos. In other words, people that were outside of the ethnicity or the culture uh, or the doctrine or the history of Judaism. So when we talk about ethnos, we're talking about a perspective of how people view the world. In other words, when people come from a certain uh, mindset, a certain environment, a certain rearing, then they tend to see the world in a certain way. And what happens as Americans, uh, we have some uh, biblical uh, peculiarities. We tend to interpret the scripture based on the American experience rather than the biblical history and destiny. Uh, Where this especially comes true is in regard to eschatology. In other words, we I, I see some of these guys on TV, on the radio, these end times experts, and they're taking things that are happening in America, and they're superimposing them over the history of the Bible, and they're coming up with end time interpretations. I think it's very dangerous. I, I think in most cases it's wrong. I think it's ethnocentric. I think ethnocentric doctrine comes into when you're talking about how people look at uh, suffering and how they look at hard times, where really, as a nation, uh, we've certainly had our ups and downs, but compared to other nations that have suffered that are much have a much longer history, you know, the United States has a history of a, as a people group of about 400 years, 250 years as a nation. Of course, there's nations that are, have much greater history than we do. Uh, they've had more uh, tumultuous political and civil and wartime and climactic uh, events that have happened, uh, you know, with poverty and starvation even, uh, the plagues. I mean, so obviously, if you're coming from a a, a a mindset or an ethnos of that, then you're going to tend to look at the world a little bit uh, differently. So it's important that we don't let just our history and our personal experience demand and dictate in, in the Bible. This was really made clear to me a number of years ago when I started going into the Soviet Union in the mid eighteen, in the mid uh, 1980s, 84, 85, this is before Glasnost, just as the Iron Curtain was starting to crumble. You know, those believers' perspectives on what was being taught in America, especially on end-time theology, was just foreign to them. They said, look, we, we've already suffered. We've already been massacred. You know, our fathers and grandfathers were already murdered for their faith. You know, they 
they were already put before the firing squads. You know, we were already sifted out. And so when we hear uh, American prophecy teachers teaching uh, certain things, uh, you know, they, they don't understand. We, we've already been there. <laughs> that's already happened here. Uh, it's not something that's going to happen. Uh, so it created for some very lively debates and quite frankly, it was very eye-opening to me. And I think it's one of the things that really helped form my Christian thought and my Christian character was not to base things on my experience, but to base them on the Bible, not just American history and culture. And, uh, you know, I had a, a, a great man of God there ask me this question, is your church more American or more Christian? And he, he wasn't asking that question as an accusation. He was asking that question as a sincere response. And as a result of that thinking, uh, an ethnocentric thinking, I think we've grossly misinterpreted some scriptures, uh, probably none worse than Romans 13, where there is this pseudo-American doctrine of submission to civil authorities that is almost carte blanche. And again, put yourself in the place of countries that have had uh, experiences or laws. Let's just say laws that outlawed Christianity. Would Romans 13 work, the American interpretation of that work, in those settings? First of all, it's important for you to know and understand this, that Romans 13 is not uh, a doctrine on civil authority. Romans 13, the subject is not civil authority. It eludes the civil authorities in illustration, but the context of Romans 13, let me be very clear, is not civil authority. If you read Romans 12, it's talking about body life. If you go to Romans 14, the first verse says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. And so Romans 13 is not separate. It's not Paul saying, oh, I got this different idea here all of a sudden. Romans 13 is talking about the fact that the Roman church, their culture, was to be resistant against authority. And what the Apostle Paul was dealing with in Romans 13 is the fact that God is a God of authority, and authority is needed for the church to be vibrant and affected. And he gives some illustrations in there that we need to really understand. Now, the first five verses in Romans 13 do allude to the fact, and it's an illustration, okay? Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now, he never mentions the word civil. I think there's an assumption here, and I think it's a safe assumption that that would be a, a, a part of it. There is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. Now, let me be real clear here. He's not talking about the personality of government. He's talking about the purpose of government, and meaning... Every person that's in authority has not been ordained by God to be there. If that were the case, we'd have no authority to recall those people, vote those people out, or, uh, you know, whatever, because they'd be God's established people. What he's talking about here is the principal authority and that God establishes authority. In verse 2, he says, Whosoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. In other words, if a person is automatically against authority, nobody's going to tell me what to do. No one is going to be over me. No one is, uh, I, I will be subject to no one, okay? He's saying if that's what you have and that's what you're bringing into the church, 
That is not going to work. And he says those who oppose authority just, you know, they got a chip on their shoulder. They're anti-authoritarian. He says they're going to put condemnation on themselves. Then he says, for rulers are not a cause for fear if you behave good or good behavior, but for evil. But do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. So what he's talking about is the authority God has set up uh, is good authority. It's godly authority. All right. And then he goes on in verse four, and this is the one that people kind of focus on. For it is a minister of God for you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. It does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on those who practice evil. So the the sword thing is brought out that, well, this must be the civil government, but you've got to read the whole verse. It says, for wrath on those who practice evil. Okay? Now, again, Romans 13 is between Romans 12 and Romans 14. Romans 13 has 14 verses, not just five verses. And there, and then it goes in verse 5 that it's it's important to be in subjection, because, not only because of wrath, but because of conscience. Okay, this is important. And we need to understand this is this is very clear here what he what he's referring to. Like, look at verse uh, 7 in Romans 13. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, let me ask you an honest question. Is that talking about civil government? Actually, it's talking about every dispensation of government. It's talking about civil government, home government, church government, family government, because fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Do you think that's just talking about civil government? No, it's talking about the principle of government that we should understand that God wants us to be people that have government in our life. That is not an issue that you can just say, I, I have no government in my life whatsoever. Keep reading in this chapter. Look at verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Let me ask you a question. What law is that talking about? Is there anybody that would suggest that that verse, Romans 13, 8, is talking about civil law? No, it's talking about God's law. The subject of Romans 13 is God's law, not man's law. How about verse 9? For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this, saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whose law is that? Well, once again, that's God's law. How about verse 10? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What law is that talking about? It's talking about God's law. What Romans 13 is teaching us is that if we do not come under God's law, if we are anti-governmental in our mentality, then it's going to affect us, okay? We can't not just be rebellious against authority for the sake of being rebellious. Romans 13 is not teaching in any way, shape, or form that we must submit to the government when they're asking us to do evil, okay? Let's be real clear. This is an ethnocentric interpretation that is foreign to most believers in most parts of the world that understand that while God has ordained government, he hasn't ordained every order or every person in government. Hey, this is Keith Tusi. 
glad to be with you today. Share this with somebody. Get your Bible out. Read Romans 13. Read Romans 12. Read Romans 14. Read it all together and you see if the things I have suggested to you are not accurate. God bless you in Jesus' name. Today, Keith continued his discussion on relating to government, specifically looking at Romans 13. This chapter is not a doctrine on civil authority. It's about God's law. God is a God of authority, and authority is needed for the church to be vibrant and effective. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. Join us next week as Keith continues to put leadership truths in the context of the local church. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. For show notes or to ask Keith a question, email podcast at innerpastors.com. If you would like more information, you can check out our website, find us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at innerpastors. See you next week.